the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 75, recorded Friday, January 25th, 2013. Trust me, I'm a tech. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. Thank you so very much for taking a half an hour to an hour out of your week and joining us. Uh, with us this week, her name is Dawn Mead. Her title, Goddess of All Marketing, AV, and Tenor Drums. How are you, ma'am? Very good, thank you. She happens to be with a company called NetAV also. I'll explain the tenor drums in a second. Uh, George Tucker is from World Stage. Uh, he is the engineering coordinator. Um, he's also, um, well, Don's the left half of my brain, so George is the right half of my brain. How are you, sir? No, I'm just fine. <laughs> so does that leave you with the, you're the medulla oblongata or something? What is if, that? If that, dude. Seriously? No. <laughs> I'm the brain stem. Um, no, Michael's the brain stem. I got nothing else. Um, I'll be the heart and soul. Yeah, Adrian's the heart and soul. Uh, he is the <laughs> senior systems designer uh, for Avitexture. He's also a uh, a relatively recent defector from the great Midwest to the great out east. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, this week we're going to talk about a whole lot of stuff, including um, Atari sort of going bye-bye, but not really. Um, and that's because all of us are of, are of a certain age, which probably means we all played Space Invaders and, um, you know, uh, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back on AT on, on on Atari. Um, something about uh, I don't know. It, it's it's the age old discussion about whether or not to buy physical media, whether or not to to vis to you know, just stream and stuff like that. So we'll kick that around. Also, the Microsoft Surface Pro, and that's in air quotes if you can't see me, and you can't because I'm not recording the video. Um, it is going on sale. But first, uh, one thing that Miss uh, Miss Miss Goddess of all marketing and AV and tenor drums has in common is our constant vigil that we hold for OLED. Is that is that accurate, Miss Dawn? Oh yes, I cannot wait to get one. Well, this is, comes to us from HomeTheater.com, and it's an interesting question. And honestly, this is uh, from because of CES and because of all the 4K that that came out of CES and. Uh, George and I did a, a special for, for CE Pro about 4K and learned an awful lot about it. The question is this. Lot, yeah. Yeah, 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 my, my head exploded. Um, OLED versus 4K Ultra HD. Which technology do you prefer? So, Don, we'll kick this off with you. Which technology do you prefer and why? Well, I prefer OLED simply because it's just going to change the way we approach video in form factor. Uh, OLED is thinner. It can be made flexible. You can, instead of um, trying to 
engineer solutions, like if you're trying to put video around a pole, for instance, for a customer or a curved surface, you can just slap a curved OLED screen on there and take care of it. Um, it's thinner and lighter. And I mean, you know, the, the whole vision of it 10 years ago when they f were first bringing out the technology was, you know, someday you can go to, to Best Buy or, or wherever to get your screen and have it rolled up like a poster, bring it home, unroll it and stick it on the wall. Now, I don't think it's going to get quite there, <laughs> but that form factor, the fact that it's going to be so light, so flexible and give so many more options, that's what really excites me. Although I will say this, I'm getting greedy. I'm getting to the point where I want a 4K Ultra HD OLED because they're not mutually exclusive. One's the form factor, the technology that makes the image, and the other is the resolution of the image. So there's no reason you can't have both. Well, you just blasted this guy's article. You, you are correct, though. Uh, and that was going to be my response when it got around to me is, yeah, I want I want sorry. No, you're fine. No, that, it's perfect because yeah, yeah, you're right. It's, they're not. It's not like you're asking me for, you know, chocolate or vanilla. It's, you know, uh, chocolate or, you know, waffle cone. Well, I want both. Um, <laughs> just called Neapolitan. I, I just, oh, all right, Adrian, you give it to me then. OLED or or 4K or 8K Ultra HD. I don't care. UHD. Well, I, I look at it as, you know, the content really doesn't exist in any sort of mass production, so it really doesn't matter. Um, we just, you know, most consumers, if you want to talk about, you know, consumers, just spend a whole swack of money buying that high-definition television and all those bells and whistles and Blu-ray, you know, forced upgrade, right? So... Is someone going to turn around and go, oh, I need a new TV because it's ultra 4K or ultra HD or I need to have it? Probably not. Some of them. <laughs> well, the early adopters, you know, like my father-in-law and, and other people are probably going to go crazy when they, you know, they, they see the big giant screen, you know, like Westinghouse. Like, where did Westinghouse come into all of this? That's, that's scary stuff. Um, so to me, I decided it really doesn't matter to me. Uh, I'll, I'll, you know, go with the nice screen I've got until it blows up and then I'll look for something new. But, uh, for industry wise, you know, it's, we're going to start seeing the push probably in the next two or three years when those, then that seeds just walked by and, you know, has been bought and sold and all the bells and whistles goes, I want this in my boardroom or I want this in here. And then we're going to have to contend with it. Um, when we looked at the article, I mean, it wasn't really an article. It was kind of like, uh, here's some bullet points that happened at CES and, <laughs> and give us your opinion. And, and you know, so I did the little vote thing and, and they've only done 1,100 votes and change. And, you know, 21% of the people go, they want, you know, the 4K. 33% want the OLED. And then um, about 28% are in Don's boat. They want both. You know, they want the 4K and the OLED screen. And then someone says, hey, 4% of those, I want the 8K. And then, you know, 13% of the voting public in this article said they were undecided. So I, to me, I don't think it matters at the end of the day because it's going to be when you can actually buy the stuff and when there's really content to see it. Well, and that, that, that that's a very good point. George, one of the things that, that came out of the special we did for uh, – with the fine folks at, at CE Pro was is the fact that 4K actually gives you a reason to like 3K uh, 3D um, and don't throw anything at me, <laughs> but <laughs> it, it it does. And so is is that is that in combination like like Dawn and I said that in combination with the fact that it's an OLED screen and you know what I 
I'm sorry. I love emissive technology, and, and I'm going to get really geeky here and really engineering. My whole thing with plasma over LCD is the fact that an LCD is a freaking technological stained glass window, all right? And I don't care what the technology is when it comes to LCD, it's really, really hard to get blacks and blacks and really, really deep blacks when you're emitting a light through it. So when you're, 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 you're hoping for a light bulb to, you know, the light to pass through it to create blacks, and that's why plasma to me will always be superior to, L, to LCD. Well, then you got OLED, which is emissive just like plasma is, and you got the thinness and the and the flexibility, like Don said, and then oh yeah, let's throw no you know the UHD in there. Um, so all of that said, which one do you prefer, or is it it's you're, you're going to throw the whole it's not exclusive thing at me? I'd like to say that it's not exclusive, although it depends on the OLED sizes. I mean, right now they're talking about maybe 84-inch. You know, okay, there's what they're mentioning, a Samsung that's at 110. That's when 4K starts to make sense, I think. Right? Because 65-inch, I don't know if it's going to make that much difference to you side-by-side, side, really. Right? I mean, I, I, and every time we talk about this, and we did the special, the guy said to me, or said to us that it was about that OLED will be what 4K needs, given this. And, and he didn't say this, but it had to be the right size. But 4K is a content methodology, and OLED is a display device. I know they're related, but it's a little different, isn't it? Well, I mean, it, it is. And asking it, it, if you want one or the other to me sometimes makes me think, well, n no. Well, we it, can have 4K on something else. <laughs> he, he did say also that he saw 4K, and Don, this will get you excited, he, he, and, and me as well. He saw 4K uh, walking hand-in-hand -hand with OLED just as um, flat panels were ubiquitous with the term HD. So think about 10 years ago when whenever you bought a, a, a flat panel, the rise of, of in, pop, in popularity of HD mirrored the rise in popularity of flat panels. Let's just say you know, flat panels in general. Now, that did not mean that just because something was a flat panel meant that it was an HD TV, right? And just because you had HD didn't mean you had a flat panel. I mean, you could get you know a big screen, rear projection, HD television. You could get all sorts of things that were that that produce an HD signal. Same thing here. He sees um, the rise in popularity of OLED being directly tied to the popularity of 4K UHD. So as one rises in popularity, the other one will as well. And so that to me is is really kind of exciting. Uh, the other thing is, and it's kind of our next story, is the fact that Sony is starting to come out with their first um, their first 4K home theater stuff, right? Um, we had uh, Rich Fergoza on last week, and, and he went to CES. And, and one of the things that was interesting to me is, is um, well, Sony's position. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. We spent last year uh, on this show and in other venues kind of given Sony a hard time because they feel that it, it felt at least at least to me like they had lost their way right um, CES 2012 they had just got done saying yay OLED and yay all this stuff and suddenly it, it you know at it, it 2012 CES they suddenly had something called crystal you know uh, crystal LCD and you couldn't touch it you couldn't mess with it it was just crystal and you couldn't you couldn't see it and the one thing that that rich said to me is that 
that he went up to the Sony display, uh, the Sony guys at CES this year, and asked where the crystal was. And they acted like they didn't know what he's talking about. They have gone back to, yay, OLED. Um, and so, George, is this kind of their saying, yay, OLED? And also, here's our first foray into, into 4K. No, I think you have a, a solid point there. You know, it's, it's the, partly the attraction of the medium as well as the content improvement. But granted, there's not much 4K out there yet. I don't know if there'll be anything soon. Uh, I think you'll see it more on the commercial and visualization side uh, first, but before you see it in the consumer side. And by visualization, I mean like the, um, the flight simulators for training, the military stuff, the police training stuff. That's where I think the 4K especially, and maybe even OLED, will be the, the, at the forefront. And then as that becomes sexier and we, we get more co uh, consumer content, that's when it'll, it'll break. Just like with the flat panels in HD. There was lots of HD content out there, but it was very esoteric. I mean, even up to about four years ago, you had the HD network, mm -hmm. which there was attraction was they did even the news in HD. You know, and they had these art shows and these very esoteric, you know, public access, but on steroids with HD. <laughs> um, that, 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 that it was the attraction of getting an HD television. But now it's everywhere. You can't not get HD. I mean, it's very hard. I still have a non-HD cable box for my old Sony Bravia just because that's what's in the playroom, and I'm not going to upgrade it until it dies a deadly death. <laughs> you are subjecting your children to substandard television? Shame Please, they watch you. stuff on their little iPods. They don't <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other issue. <laughs> our, our, our kids are, are just yeah, MP3s and... Yeah, compressed video. It's 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 saddening. Um, <laughs> Don, is this a good idea for Sony? I mean, uh, George mentioned the fact that you know some of the 4K stuff is going to be a little esoteric at first. I see that almost that plus and then some. You know, some of the the military stuff is already at at 8K, so they've already left us behind. You know, in, in doubling that. Um, right. But this is this a good idea for them to 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 kind of get back into the swing back into the swing of things, maybe. I mean, somebody's got to do it, right? And why not Sony? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it gives them it gives them definitely an edge if they're like the first one or one of the first ones to jump in there. Um, I, I mean, I'm just thinking back several months ago at this point, we did a show and we were talking about, I guess, the red cameras that mm -hmm. were like the super mm, high yeah. resolution. And, and at the time, the whole argument devolved into... Why are we making the content when there's nothing to display it on? Well, why are we making the displays if there's no content for it? You know, and so it, it comes down to when you've got the technology, somebody's going to make the jump. And Lord knows Sony over the years has the name and the name recognition and the, and the financial backing various times, depending on their stock, you know, um, to, to handle it. So, you know, good for them. I, I'm glad to see them back away from whatever that crystal mess was and, you know, jump on board the OLED thing because that's my pet technology but you know I, th I think it's a good move on their part I, I do question the fact that the article says they're home cinema systems because you're right it's it's not going to hit them. I mean it seems the resi market has been driving a lot of our industry for a while but at the same time it is the the virtualization areas the, the medical simulations the flight and battle simulations those are where the the high resolutions are happening now, yeah. um, not, you know, on Nemo 3 or, or, or you know, <laughs> toys, you know, whatever the movie might be that they're coming out with from Pixar or whoever. That's, that's not going to be in 4 or 8K at this point. So I, I do question them going home cinema, but it is a good move. I mean, we're going to need it. it. For those of us in the D.C. area that do a lot of federal work, 
we probably already need it, you know, or, or needed it. So um, go Sony. Yay, Sony. <laughs> All right, Mr. Boyd, when are you going out and buying a, a new Sony home theater system to play on your 4K? Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, probably not for a very long time. I mean, the specs look great. I mean, they're they're going to have three flavors, but you don't get the real bells and whistles unless you spend the you know the big giant price point. Um, you know, as with anything upscaling, it's garbage in, garbage out. So, I mean, your Blu-rays are going to look pretty decent. Um, DVDs, depending on how they mastered, will look absolutely horrible. And um, if you have a VCR or anything else, you know, it'll just look atrocious. And, you know, that's a thing. What was really interesting that, that I found, you know, in the last couple of weeks is Kaleidoscope, you know, you know the uh, the great little uh, company that, uh, you know, has extremely expensive but fun toys um, is coming out with uh, their own contra- con- uh, content distribution system um, for, you know, probably 4K content and, and other things. And, and, you know, everyone seems to forget that Red has just released are going to be releasing their their player that's going to have access to a dedicated content distribution system that will have 4K content, you know, and it has a whole bunch of other little fun things to plug into it. So, I mean, I think the content will slowly come, you know, the display devices will slowly come. I mean, we can, I mean, already, I mean, we can, you know, if you want to have something that'll show 4K without having to worry about anything, I mean, you can get um, a couple projectors, you know, Christy and Sanyo and, and Panasonic and so on have got 4K capable projectors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you just have to make sure you've got the right input cards and and uh, the correct uh, uh, connections to make it happen. So, you know, Sony coming in with a consumer entry device that will bridge the gap. Okay. How much is it going to cost? Um, they don't say, and I imagine it's going to be a pretty penny. So wait, we'll just wait and see and, you know, see what happens with Sony. They, they may do some interesting things. I mean, the, the photograph of it is very iPod looking. It is a little, mm. I, well, it's a little iPod and slightly futuristic. Yeah, it's, it's like Samsung and iPod and Apple had a kid and it was the Sony system. <laughs> you know, it's those colors from both those companies. White and that weird aqua blue. <laughs> did, anyone a... else, did anyone else notice though, the, uh, the, the substitute sound that you can put on this thing? No. There's an, in the middle of the article, quote, while in football mode, pipes in pre-recorded audio captured from a Brazilian yes. soccer stadium. <laughs> I, I was like, why? I'm sorry, did Monty Python just step into the paragraph? <laughs> <laughs> and now yeah. for something completely different. Yeah, that was a little odd. You can, well, you know, and I like, I like the rejoinder, gold. what happens in tennis? I'm like, yeah, exactly. Oh, there are all sorts of bad ways I can go with that one. All right. Although I do get to say the article does have a point. You, you can substitute canned crowd noise for the idiots commentating, you know, uh, commentators on some of these. If you, if you watch certain networks covering football, um, you'd be glad just to hear cheering as opposed to whatever's <laughs> coming out of their face. You mean, you mean like the, the network that's covering the, or, or giving us the Super Bowl this year? <laughs> Anyhow, did I, did I say that? <laughs> no, I <laughs> did. Isn't I may there have a stadium? It, but... I used to work with one of those guys. Anyhow, uh, isn't there a stadium that pipes in crowd noise? Oh, there's a, all of them. I mean, there's I, I, there have been rumors for years, George, about various oh, okay. teams piping in, especially the domes. I mean, outdoors yeah. it, it, it's harder to do, but the domes of which I live, you know, half an hour away from one, 
um, has been rumored for years uh, about that, about the Rams, uh, the Vikings, um, the Lions, various places. Yeah. I'm just fortunate to be from a football city and live in a football city, both of which don't need fake crowd noise because yes. we get it. And my favorite team and doesn't either. And that's from the tailgating area. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on. Let's let's kick uh, let's kick Microsoft around a little bit. Nah, it's sort of not really. I mean, uh, here's the thing: the the Surface Pro comes out next month, right? And the Surface Pro, if you don't know what it is, it's it's their big boy. Uh, it's their big tablet. Uh, their competitor to the iPad and to the other Android tablets. And here's the issue in, in our in our world of BYOB. Bring your own um, BYOB. Be right. Uh, reverted back to my college days uh bring your own device let's just stop with the acronyms um and as ubiquitous as microsoft is and and as as late as this thing feels from my vantage point this thing could be dangerous and here's why yes it's a thousand bucks it's a thousand bucks for the big boy right um nine hundred dollars for for the 64 gig one however it's windows 8 and everybody who buys a computer uh, here in the new future is what—that's what they're going to be used to. And so, in my world of education, you have professors who like things simple. Uh, they like to bring their own toys in. And hey, this tablet, which all the kids are raving about tablets—only um, it's the wrong one. This tablet has what I have on my office or my home computer. So why not bring this? So, Adrian. Is this going to be a huge deal for guys like us who have to make these pretty devices talk with our projectors and our laptops, or our, our projectors and our and our flat panels? Um, potentially. Uh, when I look at a lot of these, you know, the the BYOD um, idea, and and I was talking to a gentleman at Extron about this is. You know, as long as these devices have some way to get the content out, hopefully it's wired, you know, and we can plug into it, that's, everything's fine, there's no problem. It's when everyone wants to do it wirelessly that we have to come up with these ingenious ways to bridge that gap, because uh, no one likes to play nice with anybody. Uh, when I look at Microsoft and their whole Surface and all, all this stuff, um, the whole point of their pro version is you're supposed to be able to run full versions of Windows products, you know, or, or products that run on Windows 8 on this thing. So could you run AutoCAD on it? Probably. Could you run, you know, Office and, and you know, all of those, um, you know, processing and memory power, you know, things like Photoshop and so on on these things? Sure. Is it going to be a, a big change? I don't know. I mean, if Microsoft wants to send me a free one for me to play and test, uh, send it to me, care of. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, what was interesting is um, when you look at the RT, they're talking about how they're going to come up with another version of, of, of the, you know, the cheaper model, and they're not going to force you to buy the keyboard. You know, because that's kind of been one of the sticking points with the Surface was in order to get the most use out of it, you had to buy that that keyboard cover and the, the clicky and, keyboard. Yeah, and it was like you know it's an extra hundred and thirty bucks on top of it, which was you know people were like it was really kind of throwing out the pricing scheme on this device. So it'll be interesting to see how these things start 
going through and how people will start adopting them and, and whether or not they'll make some inroads. They made this announcement on top of what they just recently said is they're going to be helping Dell go private in some shape or form. Huh? Yeah, well, Dell's been buying back stock the last yeah. little while, and Microsoft has been kicking in some money to help that happen. Do you know why they're doing that? I'm thinking potentially is that they may be working on something to either blow Apple or Samsung out of the water in terms of a portable device or who the heck knows what I, I just thought they're going underground because they're, the one they're the ones who killed analog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I, you know, it, wah, wah. this is going to be interesting the next, I think, the next six months in the terms of mobile devices because some of the other big things that came out of CES, if everyone was paying attention, was the speed and processing power of mobile chips that a lot of these mobile devices run on and just how we're now seeing more and more, um, I guess, uh, I would say kind of bridging devices, cheating devices into getting content out of your mobile phone or out of your tablet device or whatever it is to a display. So, you know, there's all sorts of these little companies that are jumping out of the woodwork that, you know, you plug it into your TV and now I can send whatever wirelessly from my, whatever device I have to my television. And I, I think in the next six months, we're going to see a lot more of this, these kind of, um, you know, bridging devices showing up and more and more um, access in these tablets, in these, in these mobile devices that, it, you know, it's going to start causing us headaches because, you know, it's going to happen where someone walks in and going, I want to plug my phone or I want to do something with it. Mm -hmm. And how do I make that happen? George Adrian brings up a good point, not just about the surface, but about the whole, you know, bring your own device thing. In the in the live world, I'm imagining you don't have that, but you also you guys also do a fair amount of installation. So is this something that you have to worry about? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it, we have a couple of installations in which the head of technology in that institution is actually instituting that. There you go. Two two times I did that. Very nice. Um, uh, so and we're kind of excited about it because when we talked to this client a number of years ago. We were suggesting something of the ilk, but it wasn't there infrastructure-wise. You just couldn't really support it, right? So, yes, we do, we do up against, go up against it. In the changing world, actually, though, there are lots of BYODs. There's a, a Mackie DL1608 mixer that actually uses that iPad as its main control surface. Uh, you can connect to it Wi-Fi and stuff like that. So if you have an iPhone, you could kind of do it. But, you know, for mixing, you need a bigger surface. On purpose? Yes, on purpose. <laughs> there is no other part of that. Um, so, but you know, what my thing with these things are, is that they are, they are those, they are devices, they are content or control devices, but something like the surface, or at least the real one, and, and Adrian hit on this, it's a productivity tool. I can't write and create on an iPad. Maybe it's just me. I would have to have that little keyboard that some of those little, you know, uh, ancillary manufacturers make for the iPad. Um, but I have to have that keyboard. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a fossil, but You're that awesome. was sort of what excites me about this Surface, except that it has Windows 8. And I keep asking, how much for the downgrade? Because I could use it. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yes. Right. Now, I know that Windows 8 gives you the ability to go back uh, old classic Windows look. Yeah, Windows. The Surface just doesn't work for me. All right, Don. Tell, first of all, tell Georgia he's a fossil. And then say... <laughs> uh, actually, actually, no. I, I'm, I'm backing up George here. Um, 
for those of you that for those of you that still play on Twitter, um, yesterday was our AV chat, which we have every that. couple of weeks. Uh, the topic was this very topic. We were talking BYOD. We were talking tablets. We were talking smartphones. And um, a couple of people came up with this idea that, you know, what do we do in meetings? Some people were talking about bringing their iPads or whatever. Uh, you know, I usually bring a little tiny netbook that has a proper keyboard on it. Um, and, and that was kind of the, the, the prevailing attitude was, you know, the, the small, lightweight things like the tablets are great, but we sometimes we just want to type. <laughs> I believe that's what Verl from Revenue said. He, he mm, says tablets yeah. are good enough for most meetings, but people still want to type things. Um, you know, and uh, Krista Bender, if some of you are familiar with her, she even said, and I quote, I think surface style solutions will become more prevalent. It gives you the best of both worlds without accessories because, you know, Chris Nito, uh, brought, Neto brought up droid tablets with a bluetooth keyboard and mouse add-on and everything that worked too you know and if the surface works the way it looks on commercials and if you buy the hype and if you've played with one in real life if it works just that slick it's the solution it's you know it's what we're looking for um so you know i gotta back george there it's it's not a fossil thing it's like where most people it's a productivity thing i, I have right. a tablet that to- i love but i can't i can't use it in meetings because i can't type Right. Quickly. I have to agree with Don. It's, it's are you going to consume content or create something? And that really drives which one you want. And see, exactly. you, you guys make me feel so young. I appreciate you all. Uh, <laughs> here we go. Here we go. I, 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 have, I have had my iPad 3, which I, I'll call it an iPad 3. It, it's the new iPad um, for about a year now. Right. And the reason I got it is for is for graduate school. I'm not an overachiever like Don getting two grad degrees, just one. <laughs> By the way, congratulations again to you. Um, Thank you. Because you just finished up. Um, I'm just getting the one, right? And so the reason for that was twofold. First of all, I wanted to, I want, it was a use case for me. It was an expensive use case, but it was an use, a use case. I saved about $300, $300 in book fees. In other words, the books that I purchased for to, to read on the iPad uh, through the Kindle store, so using the Amazon Kindle store. I saved three hundred dollars in the the price difference between the the virtual one, the the ebook version, and the physical one. All right. So let's say that then it cost me two hundred dollars for an iPad. Then right. Well, not only did I do that, but I took all my notes on the iPad without an ancillary device. I used just the actual keyboard on purpose to see if I could do it, and I loved it. I really, really did. Um, the only thing, the only thing I'll say is that I didn't use the 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 uh, built-in notes app. I bought something called Notes Plus, which my buddy Michael Drainer uh, turned me on to. But it was an app. It wasn't a, a secondary device. It wasn't anything. It was simply a notes uh, a note program, and you can do it handwriting. But I chose to do typing because, well, my handwriting sucks. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it was fine. I liked it. And the only thing I haven't done on it yet is I haven't actually written. Um, a blog post, yeah, and I, I guess maybe that's where the content creation part comes in. Maybe that'll be my my, my next test case uh, to see whether or not it it really does work for that. So, well, and, and that's not to say that you can't use quote unquote traditional tablets for content creation because I mean, obviously, you can. I have a first generation Kindle Fire. It's not even the new shiny easy to use for productivity one it's the old mm. one and i put it again an app that that lets you do notes and and you do handwriting or typing and and so i have taken notes on it i have used it for productivity uh all right guys from mashable technology ranks the world's most trusted industry ever <laughs> from zoe Fo- i think it's zoe fox let's just 
call it the person that wrote this, Zoe, because it's Z-O-E. Um, basically saying that technology is the most ever, and it's, that's two years running. Um, George, should it be? <laughs> because, and the reason I'm asking is because we've talked a, an awful lot in the last, you know, half an hour about things like, you know, um, bring your own device and the unimaginable uncertainty in bringing your own, bringing your own device. Uh, you worked for a company at one time, a control manufacturer who, you know, has been either praised or, you know, demonized unfairly on both ends, actually, uh, because other ancillary devices don't work with them. Um, should technology be the most trusted industry? Depends on how you take it, I suppose. I mean, there could be the foreboding one that says you shouldn't trust it at all because they know everything about you now and they're soon to take over the, the, dun, dun, the Skynet dun. system thingy, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that thingy, sorry. Um, but you know what? Reading the article and thinking about it for a day or so, the reason that pops out to me and the article mentions this is that it anticipates needs and satisfies a desire for gaining something, particularly here, information or content. Yeah. So technology, I think, in these people's views that took this 20-minute survey. So we're not talking about people who idly answered a question. Yeah, they went through a 20-minute survey. Yeesh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it breaks the three-second rule. It, was, it, it wasn't a survey monkey one, is, is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Um, so these are people, I guess, who thought about it and got through the end of it. Um, that, they, that's what I think they're seeing here is that I uh, trust it because they're always giving me the answer I need and it's providing me with the information to make it correct. And I think a neat correlation, a trust in the technology providers, say like search engines in an industrialized world and an emerging market, was really weighted differently. The emerging markets, the non-traditional first world stuff, uh, were, were up to like 50 or 60% trusting what they got and how they got it. Mm -hmm. And us, you know, jaded, you know, first worlders were like, eh, not so much. I don't trust anything I read. So, you know, I can see that differential. And, and yes, for the most part, I think they should be trusted. Now, whether or not you're trusting the tech support people or the infrastructures that made it, that's a different story. And it depends on which office I call. If I call Chicago. <laughs> All right. Uh, Don, the, the goddess of marketing. Let's put that head on for you. Um, <laughs> seriously, because this is something you could take, you could take and run with. Uh, should it be, I mean, should we be uh, the world's most trusted industry? Uh, I mean, compared to some of the other industries that were ranked, like financial services and, well, and um, that's you know, a, that, that's media a gimme. and energy. <laughs> Do financial services even make it? Uh, yeah. Yes, at the I, bottom. <laughs> you know, compared to all those people, heck yeah, we should be trustworthy, you know? I, I think the thing is there's a couple different ways to look at trust. First is trusting your provider. And I think as an industry, we're very good people for the most part. You always have a few trunk slammers and always have a few idiots that are just out for a buck. But for the most part, the people that I've run into in the industry – do your things work? Genuinely tend to care if your needs are being met by their products. And I think we need to value that and market that as an industry and not squander it. And I, I, I say don't squander it because I, I saw another thing from either Mashable or TechCrunch yesterday that, you know, said the biggest ripoffs in technology. And one of them was Best Buy selling a not so extremely long um, HDMI cable for over $1,000. But it has, it has antivirus protection it, in it. it. It doesn't matter. Does it have arrows? 
Does it have arrows pointing which way the electrons go? You can make stuff up all day long. Do I need that's wooden blocks for it? Oh, jeez. That's the kind of thing that distrust in industry, you know, when, when you're, like, blatantly ripping people off. And, and, and the, the point that the article had made was not only are they selling it for over $1,000, but that exact same cable length, model number, everything was available from another source for, like, 50 bucks. Yeah. You know, so things like that. We don't want to squander it. We want to keep that trust that, that people are giving us inherently as an industry and as a, a, a field, you know, not just AV industry, but like all of technology. It, it's awesome that we're number one. But, you know, people are still a little naive sometimes about technology, that, that whole commercial with the – I read it on the internet. Mm-hmm. You can't put anything on the internet that's not true. You know? <laughs> well, I'm sure. I'm a French model. Like, yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't trust that. I'm, you know, just – if anyone's listening and you believe that everything on the internet's true because it's technology, I've don't got a bridge believe. in Brooklyn to sell you. Yeah, exactly. But I think from a marketing standpoint, we can totally take advantage of this study and, and let people know. And as people in the industry, both as, as manufacturers and, and integrators and consultants, we need to A, take advantage of their survey, but also B, don't abuse the results of the survey and give us a black eye. We want to stay at the top of the list. You know, John. I, you, you're, when you're talking, it made me think about. They didn't get granular. They sort of just said technology. Now, I, jumping in here, my opinion is that the financial people should have been at the bottom of that sinkhole in Brazil that no one can see the end of. You know, <laughs> it happened in the middle of a town. But I bet you, if they got granular, like, okay, in technology, do you trust, say, your cell provider? I'm sure you would see a very low mark, or cable companies, <laughs> you would see a very low mark. So once you get inside of the technology, I think you get a wide diversity of opinions on what exactly a technology is trusted and what is not. But the fact, though, George, that the median, you know, the, the nominal level was higher than anybody else's, even including those 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 couple of, of areas that I'm sure brought down our average is remarkable. <laughs> I mean, think mm, about it. True enough. If 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 cell companies weren't <laughs> included in this in this number, how high would it would it, would it have been? Mm. Yeah. Well, and are the cell companies in our number, or are they down with telecommunications a good 20 uh, plus? Yeah, that's good. So. Well, what's interesting is all of these metrics, all these these things that they, they list, you know, with the percentages, they all use technology. <laughs> well, that is true. Yeah, I see. Nowadays, uh, what doesn't? Yeah, exactly. So... You know, uh, I and I looked at this and I thought, oh, this is kind of cool and and this is interesting, and it, but what it kind of really didn't, you know, as George is saying, you know, getting down to those gland, uh, granular things, is 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 you know the value, you know, what is this value that 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 it brings to customers and and this is is this why they're trusting it and 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 look at that. You know, it's a very interesting study. I would have liked to have seen um, more of the information that they use to kind of to, to kind of get this, like some of the questions that, were, that, that they use in this 20-minute survey uh, to develop this, because I think that would have um, given us a lot more of an idea of, of you know, what these things are and, and how they're kind of um, gauging this, this level of trust uh, um, and, and getting these numbers. No, and that's a good. That's a good thing too. A good point, but seeing what exactly they were asking and how they were, <laughs> how they spent their twenty minutes. So exactly. Uh, all right, guys from CNET. This comes from Danny Sullivan. Keep your Blu-rays. You 
Damn Dirty Apes, and DVDs too. <laughs> I've gone digital. Uh, George, this I'll kick it off with you because uh, you're, you're one of the more vocal people I know. And I go back to the quote from the head of Netflix, uh, who, in case you didn't know, said, by 2020, we will be out of the DVD business. Um do you think Mr. Reed Hastings was conservative, or was he very liberal in that estimation, based on this guy's uh, this guy's article about him going uh, all all ones and zeros? I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think we'll see it sooner than later. Um, you know, I lo- I love this article, but if you were on Twitter a couple of days ago, there was a really awesome debate between uh, Andrew Robinson. I believe I forget which magazine he's from. I'm sorry, Andrew. Um, uh, one of the home theater magazines, uh, and John, and I never get his name right. I'm sorry, John Siaka, Siaka, about whether or not the physical media was still going to be there. And Andrew Robinson and he wrote competing blog articles, and you have to find them. We'll put them up on the show link where they just went after each other about this in a good natured way. But it was a great debate about whether or not physical media was important, and it basically came down to this. Just like this article we, we were talking about, the, the trials and tribulations of getting his digital copy, how often were you going to use the physical copy wasn't really the issue as it was who owns it. Mm-hmm. And the physical media people are, I own it. It's always in my position. They can't take it way, away from me short of knocking down the door with the, uh, with the FBI SWAT team. The, and their point of being, you know, you guys who want your digital, remember the Kindle, remember the 1984 book that was taken off without your permission, even though you bought it. They didn't have the rights over. They took it off. They can do the same. And I think that's where the argument still is for the physical disc. And John still argues for that there's yet another rev of physical media to come that will further delay the, the, the streaming or digital-only content. But I, I'm, not a, I'm not of the opinion that that's not going to happen. Because I haven't bought a disc nor received a disc from anyone in eight years. Wow. Uh, I, I real quick, uh, Andrew writes for for Home Theater Review uh, dot Thank com, uh, and the fact that it was the 1984 book that got taken off the Kindle is incredibly ironic. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Don George makes a good point. He hasn't bought a disc in in eight years, um, and I would almost be with him if I hadn't recently purchased uh, the Star Wars. Um, I don't know what a double trilogy is, but I bought all six discs. It was one whole package and. And it was for my kids, so I can introduce them in, into Star Wars. Um, now I should have waited around. Revisionist. Well, I don't have a choice. I don't. <laughs> if you look um, down at the, the bowels of the internet, you will find the originals. Somewhere. Actually, I have I have a student in one of my classes who has offered to uh, give me uh, at least the episodes of uh, four, five, and six, the original DVDs from that. So, anyhow, well, better that than their minds get corrupted by the cartoon version that's out there. So, hey, hey, at least you're a semi-purist or Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> but continuing on, uh, Don is is you know where are we are we there yet? Uh, like George said, it's 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 not any day now, but but sooner rather than later. Or are all these other legal mumbo jumbo issues going to keep? Uh, the two different camps between John and, and Andrew, where you know what, give me my, you'll you'll get the media out of my cold dead hands, or you know everybody's living in a utopia, and I'll just take the the digital. Uh, I mean, I'm more in the first camp. I personally will buy the disc now. Uh, granted, most of the discs I've bought over the past few years have been the ones that included a digital download copy. Mm-hmm. 
And like the author of the article we're discussing, um, it's usually a pain in the tuchus to try to get that digital copy. Uh, it, it, honestly, it's far easier to just, pardon me, sorry, copyright people, but it's easier to just to rip a copy and stick it on my phone or my tablet <laughs> than it is to redeem the damn physical thing that they, the code that they gave me that, you know, it, it's supposed to work easily. It does not, you know, so th they could make it far less of a hassle, but, but I'll still buy the disc. You know, I, I, I like the digital copies. It's not the end of the world if I don't have it on my tablet because I'm going to watch it on my big, big screen, you know, unless I'm on a plane or a bus or something where, I, you know, I just don't have access to that. Um, you know, which, which, again, it was a conversation that came up in yesterday's AV chat, you know, watching some of these great movies with these great special effects on your phone or your tablet is just an, an affront to the people that spend all their time and energy creating the film and the effects that you're watching. Um, you know, it better that than not watch it at all, I guess. But, you know, so when you're on a plane, watch it digitally. But for the most part, like watch it big screen. That That's what they're designed for, you know, and and buying the disc lets you do that. Uh, you could download it and play it through a player on your big screen. But I, I want to own my thing. You know, I want to I want to have it in the basement so that my kids, and my grandkids have to, like, clean it out when I die. Like oh, I do, with you know, with grandma's records and Holy things. Cow. and eight millimeter films that's the kind of what you do why right? did she, why did she buy the trilogy for you know saw uh any <laughs> um, i think there's like eight of those films okay now, well, the trilogy. Yeah. but um but and besides if they if we didn't keep buying the physical copies why would i own like seven or eight copies of the star wars trilogy because my husband keeps buying them every time a new media comes out that's why but and that's you know, why i like it, harry it's part of the fun though right yes it is <laughs> And you know what? Every time George Lucas will do something different to it. Uh, it's not George Lucas anymore. Well, that's true. Yeah, now now it'll be... Uh, it's Mickey. I almost said a Michael Eisner. Wow. Um, J.J. Abrams. Uh, yeah, J.J. Oh, yeah, is doing JJ, the first yeah. the episode seven. Um, Adrian, I, I kind of did this. Again, I do experiments with like this. Uh, I purchased uh, the Game of Thrones, um, uh, the season one. Strictly digital, just to get the experience. I did it on Amazon, um, not because I'm anti Apple. I have an, an iPad, uh, and so and I, I kind of wrestled whether or not to do the the iTunes version or the or the Amazon version, and so I've got it on on Amazon, right? And I'm watching it via my Xbox uh, because they have a, a player there, and I'm also watching it on on my iPad, doing what Don said, you know, watching it um kind of on both. And and you know what? I don't I don't miss. The DVD, I don't, I, I, and I know that's weird, and um, especially you know being someone of, of our age, but I don't miss having, you know, having to replace um, the disc because I can't tell you how many times I've bought Cars or Toy Story, one, two, and three, um, because my children think that they're frisbees, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's where I'm coming from too. You know, uh, I'm tired of buying. You know, so, that's why you buy the digital copy and you BYOD. There you go. Um, my thing has always been that when we you purchase digital content, you in theory don't really own it. You're renting it, hmm. and that's how it is. When when you purchase a physical copy, you actually have ownership of that. Um, when it's digital, well, how do you clarify ownership of something that's digital? Is it a key? Is it a code? Is it you know do do I download it and I've got something physical on a hard drive? You know what happens if the hard drive dies? You know can I get it again? I mean that's kind of been this, this painful growing pain with um, certain digital uh, pieces of media. 
you know, a couple of years back, I, I purchased an album through iTunes. And for whatever reason or other, um, I had a hard drive fail, and that content was on that hard drive. It was corrupted. And this is before the Apple allowed you to re-download something you had purchased. So what did I have to do? I had to prove to Apple that I owned it so I could re-download it again, right? Mm-hmm. And have that, you know, sort of a, a physical medium of some sort. And that's kind of always, I mean, I read this article, I'm like, I've had that exact same, um, you know, gripe, you know, I've had that pain, um, especially since I'm a, you know, I, all of my digital content sits in the iTunes ecosystem. So, you know, stuff that's ultraviolet doesn't work for me. So if I buy a, you know, a physical content and it has, oh, cool, digital, oh, but it's ultraviolet. Great. It doesn't work <laughs> for me. You know, so now I have to, you know either find a way to get it ripped so I can have something digital so I can put it on the kids' iPads or push it where I want to push it and watch it how I want to watch it, right? And, and you know, that's, I think, a lot of the frustration. Um, you know, I think that if we look who've got it right right now, it's Disney. Because if you buy, uh, you know, a physical piece of media from Disney for a move, one of their movies, you get a Blu-ray version, you could get a 3D mm-hmm. Blu-ray version, you get the DVD version, and, oh, yeah, you have your digital download yeah. of whatever that right. is. Which is, honestly, I, I wish that, that um, they would all take a, a page out of that and say, you know. Yeah, I wish, I wish everybody would do that because yeah. now what does that let me do? Okay, I can stick it in my Blu-ray player and watch it. I can take the disc and throw it in the car for the kids' DVD player and they can watch it. Or I can push the digital content where I want to put it on the kids' iPads and the iPhones, you know, whatever device it is, and I'm covered, and, you know, we've got that movie that the kids like that, you know, we can go send them off to do what their own thing is and watch our shows without them bothering us. And I don't have to buy 10 copies of Toy Story. So. Exactly, right. because it, you have it in the in, in the format you need to do what you want to do, yeah. Yeah. you know. And that's, I think, the frustrating thing about a lot of this is not being able to, uh, you know, I have a piece of, I have kind of display it how I want to display it, put it where I want to put it, and utilize it how I need to use it as a consumer. And, and every time these companies throw up either a check or a balance or some way to restrict that, um, it's a frustration. So what do I as a consumer do or what many other consumers do? They try to find that outside of the normal systems. And then we get run into these issues with, you know, um, you know, getting content in alternative methods. Let me just put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, and one, one thing regarding the digital versus hard copy sort of issue that not a lot of people bring up, and we, we don't bring it even up on the show very often, is not just a matter of who owns the material, but also what's going to become of that material down the road. We don't talk about this a lot, but with our heavier and heavier reliance on everything, we're losing inordinate amounts of history. You know, if you go to the Middle East or certain parts of um, Mesoamerica, you know, certain parts of Europe, you can look at a wall and see carvings and have history that's been there for thousands of years. And if you go and try to find tweets from, you know, three years ago, unless you have some very specialized software, it's gone. You have no record of that. You know, and, and I mean, you have things like the Library of Congress has started archiving tweets and and things like that but you know when you're talking about entertainment or music or movies you know i can take my mom's old vinyl records and find or build a player and you can still hear that music but if i lose my itunes library or something 
where did that music go? I mean, it exists. Yeah, I know. But just think generations down the road, you know, are we going to have all of this art and all of this creativity and all of this knowledge available? And the answer is if we do everything digitally and don't figure out some way to archive it for the future, no, we're not. And you know, conversely to that end, though, there's a lot of old Mississippi Delta blues and folk music that would have never made it past the vinyl records going away if the archivist didn't digitize it. Yeah. There's a lot of 12-string Mississippi, 12-bar Mississippi blue guys that you would never hear from again because it was two records, but it's fabulous stuff. Yeah, and and that 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 you know we when we look at saving content, I mean there have been uh, I mean I've seen I've read numerous articles and seen numerous documentaries about how every alliteration of a new piece of technology we lose the ability to access and review the previous technology. Uh, you know there are. Uh, you know, uh, magnetic discs that we can't read anymore because guess what? Oh, we got rid of the device that reads it. Uh, and, you know, there's stores and stores of, of data that's been collected and, now, and, and put aside that, you know, we have no access to read anymore. Um, you know, when we look at the Smithsonian and the, and the Library of Congress, um, they have vast warehouses of players, parts and guts so that they can resurrect a machine to play something or to read something or to scan something that they have in storage for, for, for posterity's sakes. It, it's an amazing thing, you know, the, the, um, the cold storage warehouses they have of VHS decks. Right. You know, yeah. or UMAD reader, you know, machines and things like that. Right. So that we can try to save some of these things. And when Dodd mentioned the tweets, I mean, I don't know if anyone had saw, seen the article that just came out a few weeks back that the Library of Congress is going to – they found out that it's it's becoming near impossible for them to record and store the amount of tweets, you know, that come out of Twitter because we just – storing them and allocating them and categorizing them has, be, has become this insane task even because the amount of data that we're sharing and sending on a daily basis – well, and that kind of leads us into our into our last uh, into our last story. Um, Atari's going bye bye, maybe. Um, Again? Yeah. Well, this is final. This is this is chapter eleven. Uh, well, final is as as final as chapter eleven is, because um, I've known people that filed for bankruptcy two or three times. Um, but they have. It's it's yeah. It's it's going bye bye unless somebody buys up the rights to it. Um, the one thing about Atari, and this is just as a total geek, and 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 I'm not an Apple fanboy, but I appreciate Apple and and what they've done. Um, if you've ever read the 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 uh, um, Isaacson uh, biography of Steve Jobs, this was one of Steve Jobs' first jobs. That's mm. kind of weird to say. Um, <laughs> uh, back in the '70s, he used to work for the Atari guys, and and there's a lot of there's still a lot of uh, of, of good things going on. You're talking about you know Pong and, and the breakout, and you know. Like I said earlier, the you know, Star Wars, uh, um, Empire Strikes Back, and and all the good games that that kind of led us to where we are now, you know, with Halo. <laughs> so, a moment of silence, I guess, for for Atari. All right, uh, that's going to do it for this week, uh, Mr. Adrian Boyd, the senior systems designer at Avatech. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, how can people get a hold of you? Find you? Follow you? Stalk you? Um, well, they can find me on Twitter. Uh, I haven't been as prolific as a Twitterer recently, but I am the AV uh, CAD guy uh, on Twitter, which is the underscore AV underscore CAD underscore guy. 
And uh, they can find me at uh, Vector Sketch, uh, which is still around. I have a blog there that I try to maybe write every once in a while. And everywhere else in the tubes and the interwebs. In the interwebs. All right. Uh, Mr. George Tucker, the engineering coordinator for World Stage. Where can people find you, kind sir? I am the social media whore. I'm everywhere. But I'm Tucker Tuesday on. <laughs> wow. I am Tucker Tuesday on Twitter. It's Tucker's, Tucker's Tuesday.typepad because I'm too cheap to buy a URL. Uh, you can find me on Chris Nato's Red, Red Band Bloggers for his AV Shout, Technology Tell, uh, and Mad Ramblings in various and sundry places. Buy me a drink and I'll tell you more. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, and the goddess of all AV marketing and tenor drums, and I'll explain that now. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my, my, lovely, uh, my lovely bride and I got the chance to hang out with the Meads. Uh, the day that one Miss Dawn Mead won... And the uh, the pipe at at, at Winter Storm, uh, a very nice tenor drum. Yes, Yay. it's very exciting. So, uh, also, so you're at, yeah, you're at Net Net AV. Uh, tell people how they can find you, ma'am. Well, the company site is net-av.com. I also have my own blog, avdawn.com, and I'm on Twitter at avdawn, and a bunch of other places. Um, I I do want to just quick plug mm -hmm. uh, I recently updated avdawn.com to include appearances because I'm suddenly teaching and speaking at a bunch of things over the next six months so uh, check it out and if you're at any of those events or want to come to any of those events come say hi to me I'm always glad to talk to folks look at you go right being a speaker <laughs> and a talker and a teacher stuff that's cool theoretically yeah <laughs> I'm nothing all right <laughs> Uh, my name is Tim Albright, if you'd like to follow me. Uh, T.D. Tim David Albright, uh, A-L-B-R-I-G-H-T on Twitter. But more importantly for me and everybody here at Aviation, please go by the website, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. You'll find this show and others at the uh, education show we do called EdTech Live Life, uh, the DIY show, all sorts of other things. Um, I've recently started a weekly blog, and I am... Uh, three weeks into into keeping to my New Year's resolution of doing a weekly blog, dadgummit. Uh, so, and I have one written already for next Monday, so it looks like at least four, four in a row. Uh, also, check us out on, on Twitter, on, on uh, Facebook, Google+, and others. Uh, but go by the website, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. That's all the time we have for AV Week.